Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 95 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt. In this episode, we're going to delve a bit deeper into the relationships between genres, themes, motifs, and symbolism. And if that all sounds a little bit abstract, don't worry, because as ever, we'll ground all of this in practical advice with examples. First of all, just a reminder that the Creative Writers Toolbelt Highlights ebook is out now, giving you some of the best advice in areas like planning your story, characters and characterization, setting and world building, research and the sound of your writing and you can get a copy for free by just dropping me a line via the contact page on my website it's andrewjchamberlain.com or by email at andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com so let's get to the content of the podcast today and I'd like to start by looking at what we've covered so far in our exploration of genre and theme. So in episode 92 we looked at genres and their associated tropes and we defined genre as a category of writing and a trope is a literary device, an aspect of story that comes to be associated with a particular genre. We explored how to tread the balance between meeting the reader's expectations of that genre and its tropes but also not succumbing to cliché or predictability. Then in episode 94, we moved on to looking at themes and morals, and we looked at the two main principles in that episode to apply in the treatment of themes and their associated ethical considerations. And those principles were, first, stay true to the integrity of your story. So don't make your story the servant of some point that you want to make, whether that's a religious point or a political point or whatever it is, because you're in danger of just creating propaganda. The second point, which is connected to the first, is this. Whilst you should not subvert your story to promote a cause, the best stories absolutely do have moral and ethical implications and the choices that the characters make around those themes and considerations should be serious and real and have consequences. I'm hoping that what you can see here is that all of these aspects theme and trope and genre and morals are all connected with each other. So in this episode I want to focus on how we can use all of this stuff, all this landscape of ideas to help really build a compelling story. And to do this we'll focus on three particular aspects of this area of creative writing. Those three aspects are this. First of all, exploiting the power and connectedness of symbols and motifs in our writing. Secondly, intriguing our reader by putting our characters into different dilemmas and different moral quandaries. And thirdly, twisting the familiar in terms of genre and trope into something new. So let's look at the first of those three aspects, exploiting the power and connectedness of symbols and motifs. And let's unpack this a little bit so you can see what I'm talking about here. Let's look at the power and fascination of symbols and motifs first. Now, I've used the word motif a couple of times in this podcast, so I want to define it for you. A motif is simply a recurring theme in an artistic work. And symbols can be used to reinforce the ideas and concepts behind motifs. So, for example, the symbol of the bat in the Batman movies is a manifestation of the motif of Batman himself and how he can pass through the night slipping into places unseen to confront evil in the city. In Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca, the ancestral home, Mandalay, is a symbol of a more general motif of the past and the power of the past to haunt and intimidate the characters, as well as inspire some. 
In Shakespeare's Macbeth, the witches are a potent symbol of the general motif of the manifestation of supernatural evil and its consequences. Now, symbols don't have to be negative or evil, of course. In considering symbols and the motifs that they represent, we should be aware of their power to give comfort and encouragement to readers and also their power to evoke a poignant sense of sympathy and empathy and understanding in the reader. So, for example, in the Harry Potter series, the Gryffindor house and its lion crest and colours are a reassuring symbol of good and especially the bond of loyalty and identity between the three principal characters. In Beauty and the Beast, the gradually fading petals of the rose symbolise the motif of vulnerability in the story. In The Wizard of Oz, one of the least noticed but most consistent characters is in fact Toto the dog. He's a manifestation of that general motif of the importance of home and a link for Dorothy to her life in Kansas. So symbols can also be used to indicate tribe and mood and moral outlook. They are in fact a very flexible tool if you want to literally symbolise or denote almost anything from a character to a mood, from a theme or an idea to a setting. In the James Bond films, the villain Ernest Blofeld has a veneer of polite sophistication and that motif is symbolised by his white Persian cat. In the Harry Potter series, Ron Weasley's slightly shabby but homely outlook is symbolised by his rat scabbers. And again in Shakespeare, we see this very vivid symbol of storms and bad weather, which indicate a more general motif of disorder, an imbalance in the natural state and the oncoming of evil. In Harper Lee's book, To Kill a Mockingbird, the mockingbird of the title is a symbol representing innocence. And the title itself is a motif of how, in that book, innocence is destroyed or lost. In Lord of the Rings, there are symbols for the different settings of the story. The barren rock and lava of Mordor, the cool water and trees of Rivendell, the pastoral agricultural peace of Hobbiton. Now it's important to understand here that the symbols for each of these landscapes don't just describe a feature of them, they also convey a sense of the place, its moral as well as physical tone. So symbols have power in that they are the outward manifestation in the story of underlying themes and motifs. They're a gateway, if you like, into the deeper aspects and issues explored within the story. They can evoke empathy, they can invoke discomfort, they can invoke moods and thoughts and feelings in the reader for characters and identification with setting and story. Now the second thing I want to explore as a tool that we can use in this area of creative writing is the fascination with dilemma. The deeper themes and issues that symbols represent lead us into opportunities to explore morality and ethical dilemmas and we can create a crucible in which to put our characters where they can be tested and challenged and a reader gets interested when a character is authentically put under pressure in a story. Now, by authentically, I mean this is not just a bolt from the blue, but a believably created situation that presents moral challenge and dilemma to a character. In such circumstances, as readers, we're interested to see how the character will cope and what they will choose to do. We see an example of this in the Old Testament of the Bible. Abraham is ordered to go with his son Isaac on a journey and God requires Abraham to offer up his son as a sacrifice. Abraham wrestles with this dilemma. God has told him to do something, but he loves his son and he continues to wrestle with it until God, once Abraham seems to be committed to sacrificing his son, provides an alternative in the form of a ram. In Pride and Prejudice, 
Elizabeth wrestles with the dilemma of her disapproving view of Darcy as it opposes with her own feelings for him. In The Lord of the Rings, Frodo wrestles with the dilemma of knowing that the ring is evil and must be destroyed, and yet he covets it and in a sense he loves it. In real life, we can see dilemmas happening in people that we know or people that we know of. And we can take for an example, Britain's Prince Edward in the 1930s. The dilemma that he faced is well explained in a portion of the Wikipedia article on him. This is what it says. Edward became king on his father's death in early 1936. However, he showed impatience with court protocol and caused concern among politicians by his apparent disregard for established constitutional conventions. Only months into his reign, he caused a constitutional crisis by proposing marriage to Wallace Simpson, an American who had divorced her first husband and was seeking a divorce from her second. The Prime Ministers of the United Kingdom and the Dominions opposed the marriage, arguing that a divorced woman with two living ex-husbands was politically and socially unacceptable as a prospective Queen Consort. Additionally, such a marriage would have conflicted with Edward's status as the head of the Church of England, which at the time disapproved of remarriage after divorce if a former spouse was still alive. Edward knew that the British government, led by Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin, would resign if the marriage went ahead, which could have forced a general election and would ruin his status as a politically neutral constitutional monarch. When it became apparent that he could not marry Wallace and remain on the throne, Edward abdicated. Now, this particular story is rich in themes. Free will versus duty, religion, sexual ethics, class, scandal. There's lots of potential here for storytelling. And the dilemmas that we explore with our characters can be contextualised with themes and symbolism. So in the story of Abraham and his dilemma, we have the symbol of the ram that was eventually sacrificed. In the story of the Lord of the Rings, of course, the ring itself is a very powerful symbol. And in the story of Edward VIII and his abdication, we have all of the trappings of royalty as a symbolic outward representation of what was in fact going on. Now, if we're going to use Dilemma, and I think it is a great tool for capturing the attention of readers and compelling them to attend to the story, there are some things that we have to bear in mind. First of all, the dilemma has to be understandable. That is, the readers need to understand what the stakes are. Secondly, the character should feel conflicted about the situation. It shouldn't be very easy for the character to pick one or another option and therefore escape the dilemma easily. Thirdly, the character should care about the different options. It might be a difficult decision, but it has to also be something that the character really cares about. And that leads us to the fourth point, which is that it should matter what decision the character makes. The stakes should be high, certainly for the character involved, potentially for other people too. So the third strategy that we can practically apply in this area is to use the familiar but make it unfamiliar. And this is particularly the case when we're dealing with different tropes within a genre. Now this is an issue that we looked at briefly in episode 92 and it's worth returning to it with the benefit of what we've learnt and explored around themes and morals and dilemmas. We know that genres have their associated tropes and to an extent readers expect to see those tropes represented in the work. But readers also want to see new ideas. They want to see a thoughtful treatment of the tropes. They want to see something new. So rather frustratingly for the author, readers want to see the familiar, but they also want to see it in an unfamiliar way. How can we achieve this? First of all, we need to be aware of what the different tropes are for the genres that we're working in. And secondly, we need to look for ways to plausibly turn those tropes on their heads, to twist them, to give us a new perspective on the story. Let me give you some examples. 
Within the genre of science fiction, there is a classic trope of this concept of humans battling against an aggressive alien species and subduing it. Now, because that is a trope of the genre, what we can do is subvert it by presenting the humans as the aggressive species that need to be subdued, or at least brought into partnership with aliens. And to a certain extent, we see something like that in Adrian Tchaikovsky's award-winning novel, The Children of Time. If we consider romance for a moment, if there is a fundamental trope in romance that the lovers should be kept apart in some way, is there a way in which we can subvert that trope and force them together? How could that work? Perhaps they could be together but not in love to start with. Or perhaps they are together but there is some powerful force trying to rip them apart. If we consider the classic police procedural genre, the police work to uncover criminals and their activities. How might that trope be subverted? Could it be that the criminal wants to be found? Perhaps the criminal gives themselves up just as the police find themselves baffled. How could that work? Now with, with classic fantasy we also have a trope which is the brave knight riding out to save the princess from the dragons. But what if we twist that a little bit? Perhaps the princess doesn't want to be rescued. Or what if the prince is trying to rescue the dragon from the princess? There are endless opportunities actually to play with these tropes and different ideas. And the most successful subversions of trope carry with them a rationale for what is being done and sometimes a comment on some contemporary assumption or some feature of contemporary life. Let's explore this a little bit more then with the examples that I've mentioned. If you go back to this fantasy trope of the knight rescuing the princess from the dragon, a subversion of that trope might be that the knight is rescuing the dragon because in fact the dragon is an endangered species and its demise would be another example of loss of biodiversity. Maybe your story can challenge an outmoded racial or sexual stereotype. Perhaps, for example, your story is a police procedural where a cop and his partner are investigating a series of murders within the gay community. The cop expresses a stereotypical view and a rather disparaging view of gay people, not knowing that his partner is in fact gay. That revelation can turn different tropes in the story on their head and can give us a context in which to both tell the story and investigate moral and ethical issues, Perhaps you want to write a romance story which breaks down social and cultural norms. Now, a romance that stretches across social, religious, sexual, class and national boundaries is in fact a fairly well-trodden path. But what if the story is about a woman, for example, who has been so traumatised by an experience that she can't engage meaningfully with anyone and then she meets a man who is also traumatised in some way? Maybe she is a victim of abuse. Maybe he is a serviceman of some kind with post-traumatic stress disorder. Now we have the beginnings of a slightly different story. But let's give it another twist. What if the romance was set just after the First World War? The man is home from the Great War and maybe he can't find a connection with anyone or anything until he meets this woman who is in some senses as damaged and as hurt as he is and they form a bond. And maybe the story can go from there. Or let's twist it another way. This time the abuse victim is a man and he can only connect with a woman who was serving in the armed forces, perhaps in Iraq and Afghanistan. Somehow their mutual brokenness brings them together. Now, my point in going through all of these different examples is to try to illustrate to you how you can take a genre and the tropes within it, subvert those tropes, twist them, try to manipulate them in such a way that you bring something original to the story and not just something original, but also a contemporary comment on what's going on. So I hope you can see that the best stories contain within them all of the great features of storytelling, but also wise and honest and authentic commentary on ethical and moral issues. 
So what have we covered in this episode? Well, I think the most important lessons from what we've discussed here are this. First of all, symbol and motif, theme and moral and genre and trope, all of these aspects of story are connected. They're like a kind of landscape, or if we were to think of a story as a building or a house of some kind, they are the decor, the fittings of the house. And to use these features well is to enhance and enrich your story considerably. The second thing we've learnt is that there are techniques and ideas that we can use very practically to exploit these features of our work. And once we understand that these things are connected in some way, we can explore them and we can exploit their unique capabilities. So for example, the power of symbols as gateways into what readers should be thinking and feeling, who they should be empathizing with, the mood they should be picking up. We've also looked at how we can take our characters and put them into the crucible of dilemma and how that can expose and enrich characters and compel the readers to continue reading. And we've also talked about how we can play with and subvert and twist different tropes to present ideas and wisdom and contemporary commentary, but also as well to be both original and true to the general idea of the tropes for a genre. Now, there's one more thing I want to say about all of this, and it's difficult to encapsulate it because it isn't a simple practical strategy, but it is very important. As you play with these different aspects of writing, and as you use these resources, symbol and motif and genre and theme and trope and so on, remember to keep it real and keep it authentic. Make it matter. Don't be too polite or safe in your story. Give your characters passion. Make the dilemma painful. The choice is real and expensive. Make what they do and what's happening matter. That's what's going to capture the reader. That's what's going to make your story really great. Now, I hope all this has been useful for you. Today, I have quoted from the article on Edward, Duke of Windsor from Wikipedia. And I have also referred to the following works. The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, published by HarperCollins. Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, which is in the public domain. To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, which is published by Arrow. The Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling, published by Bloomsbury. Macbeth by William Shakespeare, which is in the public domain. Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, published by Virago. Beauty and the Beast by Gabrielle Susanna Bardot de Villeneuve, and published by Harper Design. The Wizard of Oz by Liam Frank Baum. The Batman franchise and the James Bond franchise. So that's it for this episode. Remember, if you want a free copy of the Creative Writers Toolbelt Highlights ebook, just go to my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, go to the contact page and get in touch that way, or you can email me directly, andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com. I hope this has all been useful to you. As ever, thank you for listening and goodbye. Mm-hmm.